Welcome to North of the Shire, your podcast on all things Lord of the Rings. But I'm pretty sure it's mostly about the Middle Earth strategy battle game by Games Workshop. I'm your host, Don, and this is episode 19. And today I'm back with Mr. Andrew Brock. How are you doing, Andrew? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. We're back. The, the original duo is back to do another episode. Exactly. Yeah, we had... Garrett on last episode mm-hmm. so it was her his first appearance on the show so that was good to finally get him on here and get his feet wet so to speak that's right I was listening I was listening to it normally because normally I listen to the podcast after uh, everyone just to sort of listen to it you know looking for areas of improvement that kind of thing uh, and then I started hearing this person talk and I'm like wait a minute that's not me Who's that? <laughs> yeah. Who's this? Who's this Joker? Exactly. No, it was yeah, a really good enough. episode. Uh, Garrett, uh, I think Garrett did a great job, and looking forward to having him on more episodes. Yeah, for sure. Definitely want. I definitely want to get him back on so we can uh, pin him down and see some uh, progress on his models because he is just like not been, you know, doing a lot of painting or uh, hobbying. Uh, like miniature hobbying mm-hmm. lately, so yeah. you know that's why I made sure got him got him on record was like w- when he's gonna get all of his stuff primed and ready to paint. You know, I do appreciate the fact that you're holding him to that standard that you're not holding me to. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I do appreciate that because I know I haven't been um, knocking off those models left and right. Uh, real life has sort of smacked me in the face, something fierce the last six months. But uh, I do want to say I have been working on a Ranger of Athelion. So paint has been put onto a model, A being singular. That's right. Uh, I wasn't too keener on... Oh, I can see it. Yes. That's right. Very nice. Except Look at that. The lighting is terrible here. But uh, I wasn't too keener on the contrast style. I think pretty sure I talked about this in episode 17. So I'm trying out this other one. I've got an everlasting wet palette coming, which I suspect will help or at least give me the excuse to say, here's a palette that's ready to go. I can just start painting. Uh, and then my goal is to sort of incorporate this into maybe like a lunchtime painting thing as I work from home, at least for a couple months. And fingers crossed, some models will be painted at a uh, expedited rate. By expedited, I mean more than zero. One one per week, something like that. Sure, we'll go with that. <laughs> well, it's more than I'm doing lately. I still haven't haven't gotten back on the on the painting bandwagon. Mm-hmm. I've been uh, working on my little display board. That's even been put on hold right now, just because I've been doing some hobby cleanup and. Uh, I've got all this. I have a 3D printer, which I've talked about before, I think. Um, 3D printers are funny things. It's like all these things. It's a hobby unto itself, right? You can just totally get lost in that thing. But when you own a 3D printer, you kind of feel like it should be always printing something. Yeah. Like I always, I feel like if it's not printing something that like I'm not being efficient or I'm, I'm wasting that investment. Mm-hmm. So like I, I kind of feel like I need to be printing. So I'll go through these phases of printing pieces of terrain and whatever, but eventually you end up with this mountain of crap basically, right? Yeah. You just end up with all of this stuff that, that needs to be processed into terrain. Cause of course the easy part is the 3d printing part. The, the more difficult part is, you know, getting it ready, um, 
you know, cleaning it off, finishing it up, trimming it, whatever, priming it, painting mm-hmm. it, you know, all of that. So, you know, right now I just have all this stuff in my basement and so I'm trying to organize it and I stripped my games table of all the terrain and everything and just turned it into a giant hobby table have all my 3d printed stuff on it mm-hmm. and i'm like okay let's like make sets out of stuff that i can build terrain or yep. you know sell it off or trade it or you know whatever yeah when you when you talked about the 3d printer as kind of like you have to have it moving at all times you it sounds almost like an airplane right it's the airplane's got to always be moving can't be sitting still uh and yeah i mean like but there comes a point in time where you've, you know, you've printed probably like 100 to 200 pieces of terrain and you say to yourself, where do I put all this stuff? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, the, fi- the thing I find too is that I end, up, I end up usually printing a lot of smaller things mm-hmm. because like when you start getting down near the end of a roll, you're like, okay, what can I print that you know, is small and will just use up the majority of this? So mm-hmm. I ended up printing a lot of like scatter train sort of stuff but mm-hmm. that stuff's easy to give away or whatever so. yeah or use for our canadian shower tournament yeah oh, there's <laughs> tons of it like <laughs> excellent we can make use of that no worries on not having enough terrain that's right um new new podcast out mm. in the, in the past week uh called the friendship onion by Billy Boyd and Dominic Monaghan. Who are they? AKA Mary and Pippin. Oh. Yeah, so okay, it's okay. on, you know, your Spotify, all your all your big channels. Um, also on YouTube as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. So like it's a really professionally done thing, obviously. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I listened to it on Spotify, uh, their first episode, which was quite funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and later actually watched it on youtube definitely preferred the youtube because you you can see them and you know they're you know interacting with each other you know kibitzing part of the episode was it was just a goofy thing they did was like they neither of them had eaten a twinkie before so they both they both both (laughs) ate a twinkie on the show and they were like saying how they liked it Mm -hmm. so it was funny on the audio but it was better on uh better on the on the video because you could right. see what was going on would you would you say that our uh, video banter back and forth is the equivalent to theirs oh i don't know it's you know they're they're movie stars and obviously have a lot it's a very very different as well because it's not even about lord of the rings their podcast right. obviously there's going to be a lot about Lord of the Rings because that's where they met. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what started their friendship because they've been really close friends ever since making the movies. Oh, I see. So, so it's about um, their friendship, the friendship onion, right? So mm-hmm. um, it's not necessarily about Lord of the Rings. They could talk about movies or whatever right. they get up to, you know? That makes but sense. like in the first episode, they had some Lord of the Rings trivia and and whatnot and i imagine they'll have guests on probably have some of the actors on you know eventually but it was good i I liked it i liked the first one anyways okay i'll give it a listen and uh our our 50 listeners will also probably give it a listen our 50 (laughs) listeners oh my god look at you being like generous generous (laughs) (laughs) no we have more than 50 listeners okay yes Uh, we do obviously a few more Yes. 52 to be exact. No. <laughs> uh, anyway, we do have a new segment as That's well right. to throw to throw in this, which I don't think we really have a name for. 
Um, but like we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that more when we, when we get to it, but it's kind of more of a narrative kind of a creative kind of segment. We'll, we'll see how that goes. This will be the, the first episode for that. You know, it's funny. The moment you started talking about this this segment, I'm thinking about the actual, like, let's talk about segment. I'm like, hmm, I haven't given it a name yet. And then you're talking on with the narrative. I'm like, oh, he means the other thing. Yeah. Tells you yeah, what my yeah. memory's like. I mean, the other thing. <laughs> the other thing. <laughs> the other thing. We'll show more about that later. Um, but anyway, we may want to cut this, like, little catch-up uh, banter section a little shorter than normal. Otherwise, we're going to we're gonna put sound trap on uh, tilt with a too long of oh, an yeah. episode. God, sakes, I hate when that happens. You have to get really <laughs> finicky about how do you make a transcribe. Shall we uh, move on to our main topic? I think so. to our main segment let's talk about and we're going to start this i'm assuming three maybe four part uh series on heroes and we're going to talk about the lowest of the low the low tier heroes and these are the unassuming heroes that bring little and fit a particular niche and while they were big in the previous edition when any hero pretty much gave you 12 you know, warband size of 12. Um, the current edition doesn't have that. So a lot of these heroes are your minor heroes or independent heroes. So they've lost a lot of power, but these unsung heroes can still bring something in very specific situations. Yeah, the mi- the minor and the, the independent um, did sort of set these this group of heroes back a little bit oh, yes. uh, in, in the game, I would think. I mean, I remember... Um, you think about the, the traditional Gondor horde list, and it wouldn't be complete without your Damrod, your your Baragond, yeah. your super cheap leaders that bring 12 models to the table, and all of a sudden at like 500 points, you've got like 50 models on the table or 60 models, and everyone's just like, what? Yeah. Uh, but now they've lost well, a little like, bit of oomph. Yeah, <laughs> one of the things, the first thing we're going to talk about here is common characteristics, and mm-hmm. one thing that I added to your list that we're just discussing right now is that they're often used as warrior caddies like more so in the previous edition yeah right but still they still are in the current edition used as warrior caddies so you're like taking a cheap hero to either bring six or 12 warriors onto the table Agreed. You know, and, and another characteristic of them is they only generally, and I mean, these common characteristics are generally, uh, yeah. they generally have one attack and one wound. Yeah, I, I would say definitely the one attack part is, is probably almost always. The one wound, not not always. Like, there's certainly a lot of heroes that have two wounds that would be considered mm-hmm. low tier. But Yeah, yeah, no, I totally yeah. agree. Uh, and points wise, I mean, we talk about low tier, and guess what? Uh, the points reflect low. Uh, these models are anywhere between ten and fifty points. I mean, I'm I'm thinking uh, on the low side. I'm thinking Hobbit heroes like Lobelia uh, mm-hmm. Sackville Baggins and Frederick Bulger, uh, Bulger. Uh, you know, you're looking at Fredegar. Fredegar, there we go. Fredegar Bulger, Fatty Bulger, uh, and you're thinking about those two, and you're thinking, man, those with ten or fifteen points a piece. 
so they're very, very cheap. And, you know, you're looking at um, some of the, the higher end stuff and you're looking at 35, 40 points and, you know, Moria Goblin Captains and um, or Damrod or Angborn uh, from yeah. the Rangers of Athelion. And, and like that that's one of the hard things when you're talking you know low mid and and top tier heroes is where exactly do you draw the line because mm-hmm. it's it's hard to like nail it down because there's certainly some heroes that are maybe equal points that you know some are better than others and like we were, we're going 10 to 50 here so yeah like we we were just talking about like for example a couple of models like the king's huntsman he sits at 50 points right mm-hmm. he's, he's kind of like right on the line be- between like a low tier and mid tier mm-hmm. like if you're looking at mid tier heroes he, he really barely would be considered a, a mid-tier hero mm-hmm. um, but if you're if you're considering low tier well he's obviously up near the top of low tier right so he's he's kind of straddling the line as an example I, I the other example i would give is a denethor right and i mean you're probably on the mid-tier but low end and that's a and that's a model who brings a lot to the table right you get your hero of valor it's very cheap points wise uh fight five uh got the courage five or the courage six with the army bonus if you're going green um, and it brings you know a couple other things two attacks two wounds but the problem with him is that one he is he must be your army leader unless you're bringing aragorn king lsr and two i think he causes faramir to forcibly have to charge every turn uh, and he has to make that courage test also every turn otherwise your opponent gets to control him and so there's a lot of negatives that come with this character, um, especially if you're looking at bringing somewhat of a well-rounded general or leader to your force. So that's what kind of knocks him down the mid-tier level. Yeah, his his, yeah. his stats and stuff are all mid-tier, but it's yeah. his, his special rules just like knock him down a whole bunch. Agreed. But let's move on to some other characteristics like yeah. fight value is is a common one and, and that being is it's generally maximum of fight four. Um, generally a lower fight value, right? Agree. Yeah. I don't know, are, are there any low tier heroes that have more than fight four? I don't think so. No, most of the gaunt like like here's the thing. Like low tier heroes, they're from very specific factions, right? Like you see some of it some of it in evil you see a lot of it in good in terms of the hobbit heroes some gondor stuff uh nothing in the elves obviously because they're they're a bit pricier um and generally speaking you know you're looking at fight three fight four more on the fight three side and when Mm -hmm. you're looking at your leaders having a fight four leader is not exactly the greatest yeah and we'll see that's kind of common with all, all the tiers like certainly there are factions that are missing almost entirely certain tier level heroes like some are completely devoid of mid-tier heroes for example example and some from high tier um so yeah there's definitely certain factions in the game that have an you know an abundance of low tier yeah you will not find a high tier hero in the hobbit list if you're disregarding gandalf yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh that being said um you know we talk about threes in all the right places Gen- i like this one generally uh, low tier heroes are ones in all the right places ones in all the right places. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that's for sure yeah you know you might see some of them that bring like a one three one i mean i'm looking at alfred when i say this 
Um, or you might see some that bring 001. I'm looking at the drummers when I say this, uh, or there's 011. Um, so again, you're not always taking them for their resources, the might, will, fate. You're almost always taking them for different reasons. Oh, that's fair. Yeah, um, a lot of them too, you take, you're, you're usually grabbing one of these low tier heroes. If you're not just grabbing them as a warrior caddy, you're grabbing them for their uh, specific special rule mm -hmm. or possibly their heroic action that they can do. That's true. Um, usually those are some of the reasons why you're picking those characters. Right. I mean, yeah, we talked about the drummers and Alfred. Those are two perfect examples. Drummers bring a drum, which lets you move fast. And Alfred brings the dubious counsel, which gives you potentially um, a lot of extra might. And in a Survivors of Lake Town list, this could be comboed with Gandalf in his Restore Will um, spell. I know that's not the actual name, but you get what I'm saying. Uh, this ability to just keep generating might. Um, so these are characters that have a very specific special rule that you will pay the points for, even though you know um, they're either an independent hero or they're very weak otherwise. Yeah, it might even not even be as fancy as a, a crazy special rule. It could just be because, hey, this guy has heroic accuracy. Exactly. You know, and, exactly. And I need that in my army because I have a lot of shooting. Exactly. You know, something you, like that. You look at Rangers of Athelion and almost all of those heroes, even like um, like a Damrod, uh, have heroic accuracy. You're you're bringing that model in because you want that mm -hmm. accuracy for your Rangers. Um, and, and sort of one thing that goes hand-in-hand uh, -hand with these models that you know generally have one attack and low fight value is that their combat prowess generally sucks. I say generally. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. You're, you're, they're, they're guys that can die in one round of combat to an infantry model. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Like when your barometer is a standard infantry <laughs> model could kill you in a bad roll and you don't have the might to save yourself, you've got some pretty limited combat prowess. For sure. All right, finish up this uh, common characteristics and then I'm going to throw out an example. Okay. I warned you I was uh, going to oh, example okay. this. Uh, so I think the last piece of common characteristics would be they're used specifically either to, to fill uh, points. You know, you might have 725 points and you want to, or 705 points, and you might say, I want to pick up a Damrod plus a couple Rangers. Okay, that's a small section or a small warband. Or they're they're brought to, to fill specific army builds and continue with this idea of Damrod. Um, he might be used in a Rangers of Athelion list to bring more bows to the table, right? So um, they're used for very specific purposes. They're never just willy-nilly put into lists because they just aren't efficient if you don't plan a build around them. Unless you're a goblin town captain. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> so what okay, are examples? Here, here's yeah, here's an example I got for you. So you, you talked about a couple of Hobbit heroes. So I'll talk about one, and he's one of the newer ones, and it is Hold Foot Brace Girdle, Sheriff Leader, thirty points, and he's a two wound model, Ooh. right? So there you go. He's he's a two wounder, one one one, um, thirty points. He's fortitude, so mm, that's, that's awesome. That's huge, right? He has um, March, mm -hmm. so. Again, that is very useful. And he's got the special rule Head Sheriff, which basically gives all of the sheriffs within three inches of him. Uh, well, it doesn't say he gets burly, but it's effectively burly. They don't suffer the penalty for using their hand and a half uh, club as a two-handed weapon. So really good special rule oh God, for, yeah. your, for your little cluster of, of sheriff models. Mm -hmm. Very strong rule. 
Um, so there, that's we'll, my example. Uh, well, I'll throw you a counterexample that's sort of in a similar sure. vein. You know, you talk about uh, Hilda from Survivors of Lake Town. You don't really see her too much. Because um, again, she's 30 points, fight three, one attack, two wounds. Um, I think middling resources, I think ones um, in all the right places. But she brings a very powerful special rule to survivors of Lake Town, and that is all models, or so when she charges into combat, and she's got a spear, all models, all survivors of Lake Town models within three inches of her um, get plus one to wound when they charge. Yeah, that's huge. Plus that's one huge. to wound is huge. And considering that survivors of Lake Town models have axes, not uh, not unsurprising to see them strike uh, do a um, uh, piercing strike to get to that mm-hmm. key strength four, and all of a sudden you're wounding defense six models on fours from a five point model. Yeah, that's a very uh, very strong rule for sure. Agreed. Yeah. All right, let's move on and talk about some strengths of the low tier. Well, uh, low-tier heroes are cheap, <laughs> and that means they are often minor heroes and sometimes heroes of fortitude, so they can they can allow for infantry spam armies. I mean, we just talked about um, the Hobbit hero who's a hero of fortitude. We talked about Hilda. Hilda is actually uh, a hero of fortitude as well, so it allows you to, um, in those particular situations, for sub-100 points bring 13 models to the table. And that's a lot of models for a cheap investment uh, mm-hmm. in your army. Um, so yeah, it's one of the strengths. Right? The, yeah, another one, and we've already just finished talking about this quite a bit, and that's the special rules. Um, so a lot of the, a lot of them, the ones that are really sought after are, are being picked because of their special rules. It's mm-hmm. a cheap investment and they come with a really good special. Or you mentioned, uh, Alfred, I mentioned uh, Whole Foot Brace Girdle, but another one is uh, Anborn from Rangers of Athelion. So That's he right. has a, an aura ability to remove the stock and scene uh, from enemy models. So, like, huge rule for a shooting army to have. Oh, yeah. And not only that, he can also give it to his own models, right? So all of a sudden, if I'm sitting in a forest or if I'm behind a hedgerow, you can't see any Rangers within six inches of him. Like right that alone is is really powerful in, in a lot of situations, and again, it sort of further empowers the Rangers of Athelion list to be a strong shooting list. Um, we all, you know, and, and to your point, we also talked about you know um, they have that specific sought after heroic action, right? Like some of these heroes have a heroic accuracy, some mm-hmm. of them like you know Goblin Town captains have the march, uh, and so these types of heroes and these specific heroic actions really are important for these. Uh, particular types of armies like for example goblin town there may be instances where time is a factor you need to get in your opponent as fast as you possibly can so you're willing to burn that might on marches and by having those captains you can do that well like you mentioned you just mentioned the uh goblin town captain and like one one of the things that like they bring is is the might like you know you you mentioned taking them for the heroic action or special rule the other one is if you get a cheap enough guy cheap enough hero um it's a lot of extra might to throw in your army and like one of the strengths of that army is that they can counter your heroic moves all day long and still have tons of might to burn it's one of the really frustrating things to play against that army is this they never seem to run out of might that's true that's very true the last strength i would say is increased drops during deployment you know I wouldn't 
downplay this as a small thing. Depending upon your army build, this can be quite significant. You know, like if you have a seven drop army and your opponent has a four drop army, you can drop your three small heroes up front, like your, your middling stuff, and then you immediately have an understanding of where your opponent's army is going to be deployed. So then you can maximize your counter deployment, and that could be in um, deploying away from them, especially if you're a shooting army. Uh, it could be the positioning your hammer units, like your big heroes, right angle that your opponent's leaders so you can get that amazing maximized charge uh, or it allows you to sort of position yourself onto specific objectives that your opponents just can't challenge so never underestimate the power of having more drops in your opponent oh yeah it's huge it's one of the really big weaknesses like i tend to play a lot of armies that are uh fortitude hero 12 mm -hmm. warriors yeah. times however many warbands and that's one of the things you always get out maneuvered in deployment before the game even starts agreed um one thing though i will say there is one more i added to your oh. list here throwing another one in here Throw another cog well, in the other uh, wheel yeah one another strength and one of the other reasons that you often see specific low tier models picked for certain armies is because they bring theme to your list oh, that's because they're unique named heroes um, like Baragond we've mentioned before a very common example like a lot of people will pick him for a thematic reason you know like you're you're taking Faramir and so you're going to take Baragond as well to go along with him complete your thematic this is the reason why I didn't mention it because he said theme, and I'm like, yep, I wasn't even thinking about that. Yeah, I knew you wouldn't. <laughs> uh, in terms of weaknesses, uh, right out the gate, uh, the minor heroes do not like Maelstrom of Battle. Not at all. Because they don't have the might to influence the roles, and so often they are deployed first, and generally are either left to their own devices, and that could be a very short time on the table, uh, or they will influence where your army is going to be deployed, because wherever they go, the rest of the more might-infused heroes will make sure they end up right beside them. Yeah, it's like independent hero and six, or not independent, minor hero and, and six guys like deployed in some like random spot of the board near your army is like excellent exactly and, and that's the type of army that, the type of warband which just melts before most things uh and you know talking about missions um while there are some missions like you know contest of champions where having a big big hero uh can be quite influential um, there are missions where having lots of heroes is a detriment, especially lots of weak heroes. And I'm talking pretty much any mission from the unique mission pool, which is Clash by Moonlight, Fog of War, Assassination. These are all missions where your opponent can pick one of your weakling heroes, kill them, and fulfill some major mission objectives, picking up some big points quickly. Yeah, like Fog of War, isn't that the one where it's like pick an enemy hero to kill? Yeah. And it's like, oh, excellent. I'll pick this guy with like one fate and one wound who I can kill from across the table with a bow shot. Pretty much, yeah. So all of a sudden it means these characters and heroes that you've um, that you've created a strategy around, you all of a sudden, jumping into our next point here, you yeah. have to 
um, play very defensively because the, in these situations, especially if they have a special rule that makes them um, uh, very crucial to your strategy, it creates this massive bullseye on their back. And you got to defend them, which means sometimes stacking up two or three in the ways at a time through a blinding light, hiding them around difficult terrain or even line of sight blocking terrain. You got to get very... Um, uh, cagey with them to keep them alive because if again to your point Don if, a, if there's a fog of war and I see an Alfred across the table you better believe I'm going to murderate him as fast as possible because I want my points <laughs> yeah because obviously the, the the very big weakness that you're you're skirting around there is the fact that they can be killed very easily yeah. like in fact they die like warriors generally right one mm -hmm. failed fate and you're you're looking at a warrior basically pretty much yeah um and then a lot of the times well, like we talk about uses and utility of of heroes and it's really important to have that utility uh, or use for a long period of time in the game you know we're talking about mid game we're talking about end game the problem with minor heroes is generally speaking they burn out their use either after deployment if they're a drop based hero or early game right so you know like for example alfred might burn out his three will give it to bard yay bard sitting at six might uh, but then Alfred really doesn't bring anything else to the table. And if there's no mission yeah. which really um, is detrimental to Al Alfred, he might just find himself on the line very quickly. And, you know what I mean, his use as a hero diminishes completely as he's literally just some guy on the line that's not much better than your own infantry. Yeah, he's kind of like one and done. You do your thing and then <laughs> you've basically got no no purpose other than go over there and stand on the objective or something. Make yourself useful. Exactly. Uh, which moves us into ways to use them. I know. We're, we're, we're getting huge here. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and I think the first keeping one... The, I think probably keeping them in the back of your yeah. army is, is fairly common, especially <laughs> if they're like, you know, like you said, a, a guy that's got a special rule that you're kind of relying on a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you want to sort of have limited use of them so that they're you preserve them for their for their tricks right um and you know limit their they probably only have got one point in might so mm -hmm. if you're looking to use that for a heroic move you know don't let them die before <laughs> before yes. they use their your, your point of might exactly because i mean like you think about that again that, that heroic might a heroic move for that point of might. I mean, that one point of might, which is generally considered to be five points, that five points on a 25-point model, that's like a, you know, it's a it's a 20-point, 20 20% 20 investment in the model is that point of might. So you don't want them to die before they get to use it. Yeah. And, you know, to your point about the heroic move, we're also talking about other heroic actions. So accuracy, defense, heroic march. These are all big things that can be quite useful. Um, like getting those cheapy heroes that have the accuracy, that have the march, and getting them to burn that might up on those things allows you to keep your big hero that may have that same action keep their might because their might's a lot more effective you know like the, mm -hmm. the first thing that comes to mind is um the rangers of athelion you've got faramir with his three might he's got heroic accuracy but he's also the only person in the army that's got heroic strike you really don't want him burning might on heroic accuracy no. you want to use damrod's uh, heroic accuracy might um you know what i mean i do you've got another point here uh, Matt 
maximize the effectiveness of their special rules. So yep. what do you what do you mean exactly by that? Like can you give an example of that? Sure. So I mean we're talking about specific models at this point that have a special rule that might be like an aura or a a cumulative buff. And the first two that come to mind are Sigrid and Tilda. Now, they have a special rule or a sequence of special rules that if one of them is in range of Bard or Bane uh, and or Bane, they give them plus one to their fight value, which is big because Bard goes from fight five to fight six and fight six is a big number. Uh, But if two of them are within six inches of Bard and or Bane, not only do they get that plus one fight value, they get free heroic combats. And so you really want to maximize both of them being within six inches of Bard at all times, which means Bard can't just like take off like a rocket um, and stay and get outside their six inch bubble because all of a sudden he loses a lot of benefits. So again, it's that idea of taking the special rule and another example would be the drum and making sure than 12 inches of the drum to maximize it. And, and taking the special rule and always being able to utilize it because, again, you're bringing these heroes specifically for this rule. And if you're not using it every turn to its best effective use, you're not spending your points efficiently. Yeah, so you want to protect these models, right? So it may involve like having some warriors around them that can shield and, and, and keep the enemy units off them while they apply their special rule to Agreed. your benefit. Agreed. I mean... Um, and then lastly, in terms of ways to use them, uh, this is sort of a, a duo. By the way, did I tell you how much I love that Sigrid and Tilda special rule? Oh, you love it because it makes Bane the, the model you hate the most. <laughs> love uh, it. Blows itself right out of the stratosphere. Uh, and Bane's probably included on our low tier list if he didn't have access to all these other synergistic rules. What are you talking uh, about? He's a mid-tier hero. He's fight five, for God's sake. He's fight three base. He's a monster. He's one attack, fight three base. Uh, so no, he's actually low yeah, tier. Yeah, let's, let's, not go, let's not go there. Yeah, I know. It's, it's a sore point for you. <laughs> um, I think the last way to use these heroes um, is, one of, is, is either once they've used up their special rule, if they have it, and it's a sort of a thing that's a resource based, i.e. Alfred, or, um, you know, or if they've used up their rule of just being that added drop, to your, to your list, stick them on the line and use them like a regular infantry um, and give them a spear support. Maybe stick a banner behind them if their fight value is slightly higher than um, the people around them, right? So that's one way. The other way is if they have a higher courage value than everyone else, then it's not a bad idea to sort of keep them hovering in the back if you start sensing your forces about to break because your heroes with that high courage may end up being in the thick of it and they may not be able to get that clutch heroic move off, especially if you're resource drained. So they might get tagged late game and be unable for that key stand fast. But if your minor hero even has plus one courage more than a standard infantry, that is a big deal between models running off the table and staying. Yeah. If If you don't believe that, try playing with courage two models. Yep, because when, you, when you're when you playing with a Courage 3 leader, now all of a sudden you're needing to roll a 7. That means you have a 58% chance of making that Courage test. Courage 2, you're into the 40s, my friend, and that's not a good number you <laughs> want to be at if you want to try to win the game. Okay, well, I can't imagine this is going to be too difficult, but let's talk about ways to beat these models. 
Uh, yeah, well, considering most of the time they have one or two wounds and never more than one fate, generally speaking, um, if your opponent is using these models for a specific um, special rule, again, we've talked about Alfred, we've talked about um, Sigrid and Tilda, um, you know, we talked about the Goblin Scribe, well, we'll bring up the Goblin Scribe now, it's a really key role. You gotta try to get rid of them early. And that's what this idea of having a lot of tools in your toolbox, because if you've got some magic, if you've got some shooting, start throwing shots downfield. Because even if you're shooting through two or three in the ways, one, if you fail you're in the way, you're still hitting someone, right? So you still get a wound roll, especially if you're shooting through a battle line. Two, if you get the shot through onto them, their defense is generally pretty poor. Defense three, four, maybe five which means if you're shooting a strength two, strength three bow, you've got decent odds of putting a wound on them. And if you put a wound on them, in some cases, it's a fate or die situation. Yeah. And getting a kill on an Alfred before he burns up his will is, oh my God, it is game breaking uh, because you just snag three might off of, um, off of, um, his name is eluding me right now. Bard. Bard, thank you. I think of Bane for some reason. It was stuck in my head. <laughs> you got uh, Bane on I the got, brain. I got Bane on the brain, that's right. Uh, if you if you reduce Bard from a 5-6 might hero before he even hits your lines to a 3 might hero, that's a pretty big deal. It is. Well, the thing is, too, with you mentioned like um, like a bow shot using up your fate, like what'd you say, fate or die or whatever? Yeah, fate or die. Um, it's also a good way to get them to spend their might like mm -hmm. it's like you know you're saving your might for heroic accuracy or a march or something and it's like okay you just got shot and wounded and you rolled a three for your fate so yep. it's, you can either use your point of might or take them off the table that's right yeah. uh and then you know to as, as another point to that is if you're putting pressure on these models early on right even at range what you're doing is you're not is you're starting to control the tempo of the game because um an unopposed alfred can keep his might, keep his will for as long as he wants, because maybe he wants to give some of his will to a, a Lake Town uh, captain for a march, right? Uh, but if you're putting pressure on him immediately and he has to dump the will and convert yeah. it to might, then he's got to make a decision: who do I want to give this to? Because it's yeah, stuck you on may, him. You may you may force him into making a suboptimal choice, right? Bingo, which is what you want to do, right? It's all about forcing yeah, yeah. him to make a back, uh, to make a suboptimal choice. Yeah, we mentioned before like warrior caddies and stuff. Like a lot of the time, these heroes are are taken um, to increase your drops or increase the number of warriors uh, that are in the force. So if you're if you're facing off against an army like that that has like a few here low tier heroes for those reasons, like really once the armies are deployed, their their kind of purpose for being has has happened already. Mm -hmm. um, so for heroes that are are sort of filling that role, pretty much ignore them in the game. Yeah. Um, you know, and and just deal with the larger threats of their army. They're they're really not a thing after deployment. Exactly, and even if you see that your opponent has you know, uh, like a like a th plus three drop differential on you, well, acknowledge it. Acknowledge that they've taken points and, and spent them on minor heroes to give them that advantage and steal it back from them, right? That means clumping your forces up, not giving them, or maybe deploying it in the middle of the table, all clumped up, not really giving them advantage either way. Um, 
And then you can start deciding, okay, I'm at a bit of a disadvantage here, but that's okay. My opponent paid for this advantage. Now, how can I steal it back from them, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's not like you're stuck in this way the whole time. It just means they've, they've sort of pushed the tempo in their direction. They pulled it in their direction a little bit, and now I need to pull it back. And that's not something that's insurmountable, especially if you're planning for it at the beginning of the game. Yeah, and again, it can frequently be done fairly easily just because they are so fragile. Agreed. Uh, and then last but not least, you know, we talked about the weaknesses, about that unique mission pool, right? Um, where you've got the, the, the fog of war, the, the, the clash of moonlight and the assassination. If you see your opponent is bringing minor heroes, small heroes, weak heroes, make that your mission to kill them because that those are freebie points it's a lot easier to kill an alfred it's a lot easier to kill a frederick bulger it's a lot easier to kill a thrain the broken um, than it is to kill an aragorn king elisar heck of a lot of a heck of a lot less resources have to go into that all right shall we like just uh finish this off by going through some examples of of models that fit this category sure now we've already talked about a fair amount of these examples already uh so i won't mention them again uh but there's a couple more i'd love to talk about one being grima Wormtongue. yes mm -hmm. grima is a low tier hero um, but Grima is so powerful. I mean, if I could take Grima over needing to take Sauron in an Isengard yeah. force, auto-include every time. Well, he is an auto-include if you're taking Saruman. Pretty much, yeah. Saruman is not 170 points. He's 195 base <laughs> before mounts um, because Grima allows you to drain your opponent's might um, which is huge. That six-inch ore of, you want to spend a point of might, you got to spend two, okay? And the other beautiful thing about Grima is that he's deployed with your opponent's warbands, and he counts as a friendly model to them, so they can't attack him except for magic. We get it. There is offensive magic that can be used against him, but generally speaking, uh, no shooting, no diving into combat and killing him, right? Which means they have to divert resources to pinning him down and not letting him move. And so Grima can do some really interesting things. Like, for example, in Reconnoiter, you can deploy Grima and walk him off your opponent's, deplo opponent's deployment zone if they're not being careful, turn one, and immediately pick up three points, right? And immediately force your opponent on the back foot. You can... Um, no, I, I think it's like that one mission where there's two objectives and they're uh, in, in the opposite corners. I don't know if you're, you know the one I'm talking about. Um, you can deploy Grima right on your opponent's objective if they deploy poorly, right? And so this is such an amazing model, especially in Contest of Champions, that while yes is a low hero, a low tier hero, like phenomenal low tier hero. Yeah. Again, all about it's all about the special rules. Yep, it's all about a special rule. Yeah. Um, okay, well, if you don't want to go through these heroes because we've already talked them uh, about them previously let me ask you this what do you think are the candidates for strongest low tier hero in the game um, i know what i would say hmm. are we being very specific to like like general use like as in it could be in as many lists or like if like always it can be whatever you want it to be oh okay okay <laughs> that's uh, how specific we're being okay that's how specific we're being um i would say then there's probably my my top three for me okay i only have one so let me give my one because it's probably one of your top three probably goblin scribe yep 
the goblin scribe makes goblin town like it that model alone takes goblin town like up a notch mm-hmm. in terms of competitive that model brings so much to the table so much versatility so much control uh, so much objective grabbing power um, for that army so much mobility like it doesn't have mobility, but the fact that you can bring these models on from basically anywhere you want, it sort of replaces mobility for the mm-hmm. army. It's such a strong model for that army. The Goblin Scribe is one of the reasons why Goblin Town is probably the strongest board control type list because it can be anywhere all at once. And if you ever play a Goblin Town, uh, play against a Goblin Town army in an objective-based game you are in for a world of hurt. That is not an easy mission to fight them with. They always have an overwhelming advantage, and part of that is the scribe. And I mean, there's three key pieces to every Goblin Town army. One, the Goblin King. Two, Gollum. Three, the Goblin Scribe. Those will always be in every Goblin Town list because those are really their three pieces of, of utility. They're three big tech yeah. pieces that and, give them like the leg up over other Horde armies. And one other incidental that that model brings without intending it is it confuses the heck out of, are you at break? Are you close to break? How many models to break? How many models to 25%? Mm-hmm. Which models did you bring on with the Goblin Scribe? Which ones weren't? It's so confusing unless the Goblin Town player keeps very careful track of it yep. or has separate models to use for the Goblin Scribe. Yep. Uh, so for me, I would say the Goblin Scribe is obviously my top three. Uh, and this is in no particular order. Um, I would say Grima Wormtongue. Absolutely. If you are taking an Isengard list that has Saruman in it, Grima is an auto-include. Because, quite frankly, Grima has more utility and value, I think. As, as much utility and value as Saruman, but at a fraction of the points. Like, it is just an unbelievably powerful character. Like, if, you've, if you don't think so, you've never really played against a, a properly played Grima. Okay? Two, or the, other, the last one of the three, is Alfred. And the reason I say this is because they had to nerf this guy between editions so that his special rule does not affect anybody. It only affects survivors of Lake Town and the Lake Town Guard. And the reason is, it is so powerful to gain might. Like, the ability to add two to three points of might onto a hero is very powerful because might is extremely precious and it is one of the most valuable resources in the game. In fact, probably the most valuable resource in the game. So to be able to have more of it on demand is crazy. And it's and the fact that he can be included in the strongest good horde list allows you to have, and I'm, I'm talking both survivors of Lake Town and the Lake Town Guard, uh, it allows you to have these really crazy Frankenstein allied lists that are stupidly hard to beat because he just contributes might. And in a Survivors of Lake Town list, between him and Gandalf, you could just strengthen will him and he just continues to produce might. So if you don't want to charge this list, you're just allowing yourself, your opponent, to get like a 7, 8, 9 might bard. Yeah. And good luck winning. 
Yeah, no, for sure. I think those are like, I, I'd be really curious to see, like, uh, hear other people's choices for some of the top low tier. Because, mm-hmm. like, to me, those three, those three stand out. Yeah, they stand out in the crowd. They stand out, I guess, as we talked about, they stand out because of their versatility and the fact that they bring such amazing utility to the table. Uh, and so, yeah, we would love to hear in the comments or people flipping us an email saying uh, what they think are the best low-tier heroes and what their reasons are, and we can happily chat about it next episode. And what is our email, Drew? Ah, it is North of the Shire Podcast one the number one at gmail.com. Right on. All right, well, shall we move on down the road? Sounds good. And on to my favorite segment. What have I got in my pocket? Where we talk the about... The segment you're never prepared for. The segment I'm never prepared for, and <laughs> I've been told repeatedly by my co-host, my questions are subpar inferior, and there's other expletive comments he has made about them off-camera or off-podcast, but I still love it all the same because I love watching him sit there, think about the questions, grumble like a dwarf about how terrible they are, and then come up with some so-so answer. Well, I come up with this phenomenal answer that's yeah, comprehensive, whatever. and yeah, I could go on and on. You had, you've had one or two good questions. I've had three out of 15 episodes. Okay, hit me with your question. Enough oh. dilly-dally. <laughs> okay. Uh, my question to you is, if you could interview... Oh my God, this isn't a have dinner with or... Or play a game against one person in the SBG community anywhere in the world, who would it be and why? Play a game against? Either have a chat with or play a game against... Now, this could be someone you've already played a game against. This could be someone new. I kind of, I would think it's someone new because you haven't played them yet, but whatever you want. Yeah, that's, this is a good question. I do You're like welcome. this question. Four for um, 15. Well, because it's like, it's one of those things, like I'm not a competitive guy. So mm-hmm. it's like, I can see if you were to, maybe I'll get you to answer this after I'm done. But like for you, you'd be like, oh, I want to play like the most competitive person out there to see if I can beat them or whatever like i'm i'm not like that whatsoever um so to me it'd be um for other reasons and which is fun interesting um i would really like to play a game against damien o'burn again because i did have the opportunity to play him at Nova was it 2018 i think think it was and it was we played an all hero sort of fun battle whatever Mm -hmm. tournament slant that was so and like you know we're kind of friends with damien and talk to him now and again he's our top five uh, well you know it's not like we have weekly conversations with him or whatever but we uh like recently was on a we were on like a hobby chat or whatever or i was anyways yes Um, so yeah like you know you never get to see people like that so i would like to be able to play him again um I don't know, like, as far as... Uh, I'd really like to play against uh, Jeremy from the Green Dragon because I've listened mm. to that podcast since, I think, 2014. 
Um, he's really into the theme of the game and not necessarily into the competitive part of the game. So kind of along the same lines as myself. So I'd like to have a game with him as well. But I, those are two people I would definitely enjoy to have a game with. Hmm. What about you? Answer your own question. I'll answer my own question. Um, I would say um, from a, an existing person perspective, I would love, love, love to play against Damien. Uh, he's a good friend. And um, I've never had a bad game against him. I love playing with him because uh, we can joke and be funny and jovial. And we will always be playing at our highest level because we want to beat mm -hmm. each other. But it never feels like a tense game. It's just like I think... I would say the, tw the two times I played him, I would probably rate them in my top five games. Both of them. I rate my top five games I've ever played of SBG because it was just an amazing experience competitively, uh, gentlemanly, um, and just it was a great banter back and forth. Right on. Yeah, and for who I haven't played, I would say Kylie from Green Dragon. Um, her accolades uh, precede her, and I would love to get a game in against her and just to see how I sort of uh, stand up to the Masters Invitational Champion. Yeah, that'd be good. I'd like. I'd love to see you be able to play in that uh, Masters Invitational at Articon. That'd be that'd be great if you could ever go there. I would love to, and unfortunately, that is the same weekend if it, uh, as my wedding anniversary, so <laughs> that <laughs> will not happen unless they move it. <laughs> anniversary road trip. Oh, yeah, that would totally get me brownie, brownie points. Uh, so what about you? What's your question? Okay, I actually have two questions for you because I thought of a funny question after I thought of my original question. Okay. Um, so here's my original question. And I don't even know. You can you can actually say there is no such model if you want. That can be your answer. But here mm -hmm. it is. What hero and or warrior model would you like to include in your armies, in your army builds, but mm -hmm. you don't because it's just not competitive enough for you? Is there such a model? Um... Pause as long as you want because if I can always cut a, out this if dead air. If there is a, a name, if there, if I was playing evil, it would be a named ringwraith other than the Shadow Lord, other than the Witch King. But all the other named ringwraiths are garbage. They're not like I'm sorry, they're not what they used to be. Not even close. And for those that say, but Kamal, heroic strike. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. If you're at the point where you're going to take Kamal, uh, then you're three ringwraiths in, and you're really not using your points efficiently, or you're at playing a 1500 point game. Uh, but I would love to. I would love to bring back my Knight of Umbar. I loved playing with the Knight of Umbar previous edition. <clears throat> Mind you, it was also ridiculously strong. Uh, but in its current incarnation, he is not even worth touching. Uh, yeah. So a little sad about that. But I, I never thought that. I never thought of that ring wraiths. But of course, of course, that would be your answer because. You used, I, to, you used to go to them a lot. So. I, that was my go-to army. And I, uh, when the additions changed, I, I smelt the wind of change. And it was not, it was awfully clean, as in good. And I, I parted with my Mordor army. Uh, in terms of a warrior model, I would love to include, but it's just not good enough. Uh, I would probably say, because I now play... I now play um, um, 
I now play Gondor, so I would have to say the Citadel Guard. Um, I would love to play a Citadel Guard and bring the Citadel Guard. Uh, and there are corner cases for it, but honestly, you just take a Fountain Court Guard. Defense 7, Fight 4, yeah, so much Bodyguard. Better. I mean, like, what, a point more or something? Two points more tops? I mean, you're, you can make the argument for saying, Citadel Guard, get uh, Strength 3 bows, and it's just like, uh... That's not a good enough argument for me to take one. I'd rather take a Ranger of Athelion, who's way cheaper. It brings me the fight four that I need. Um, yeah, they used to be really strong. Like, I used to take a lot of Citadel Guard, previous edition. But if you're going to run competitive, you're going to either do cheapy Warriors of Minas Tirith backed by Rangers of Athelion, or you're going to go pure Fountain Court. You know, sad to say. For me, I'm going to answer my own question. Sure, for me, for it. it's like Kazadum, uh, the hero, the shield bearer. Mm. I'd love to be able to take that model, but the more I look at it, it's just like it does have a it does have a role in the army. Don't get me mm-hmm. wrong, um, but it always gets bumped out of the army for something else, which means to me that it's not quite good enough for the points. Uh, warrior, the warrior side of things for me, it's an easy one. It's the feral Urukai. Uh, everybody knows how badly that one has been nerfed in the current edition. Got the double tap and removed from the table. I'd love to be able to play with those models again, um, but yeah, sadly you, no. You were talking uh, about your shield bear, and I immediately thought of two models I would love to play again because I own a dozen of them each, and that is definitely the feral Urukai and the berserker. They are unplayable. I'm sorry to those who like to play Berserkers. Uh, their time in the sun is gone. Uh, 15 points for a Defense 5 model and on the line is just way too many points. Yeah. Uh, even if they are Courage 7. Uh, yeah. And so, yeah, no, those two I would love to play again because I have an army of that and I love that type of army. But it's just, yeah, no, it's no bueno. I still play with Berserkers, and every time I do, I'm still shocked every time and how easy they die when they get into combat. It's like, what's going on here? Exactly. Ooh, defense six against shooting. Yeah. Congrats. Okay, let me ask you, <laughs> let me ask you this, because I found myself doing something last night, and this question occurred to me. Okay. Okay. Okay, so this is a fill-in-the-blank question, okay? Okay. So when I find myself doing blank, I suddenly realize my time would probably be better spent painting my MESBG miniatures. When I find myself doing blank, I suddenly mm-hmm. realize my time would probably be better spent painting my MESBG miniatures. Fill in that blank. Oh, you already know the answer to that. I actually did a, a bit of a prioritization sort of exercise today. It was funny you mentioned this. Now, I thought to myself, okay, what are all the things that I want to do with my spare time? And what am I actually doing? And what can we retweak here to make more effective? And <clears throat> uh, and I'm looking at, okay, well, let's see. I play some video games in my off time. Um, I am the you know dungeon master for D&D. There's a considerable amount of time there. Uh, I like to write short stories where I can. Um, and... I need to paint my MESBG miniatures. And I look at those four, and I say, what's my distribution right now? And it's like, well, 
uh, it's play video games because I really, after a long day of work, my brain does not want something complex. Um, the other priority or obligation I would say I have is to put together content to play a game for D Dungeons and Dragons. So that's uh, right up there on my priority list. Uh, and then that sort of leaves writing short stories and uh, painting. And I want to get more into the third, but you know, I also acknowledge that I do need to paint models if I want to play with them. Um, and so, yeah, I, there's a, everything under the sun comes before painting miniatures. And so that's why I'm sort of trying to work into a better habit of doing maybe some lunchtime painting. But uh, yeah, that's, that's the answer. <laughs> so for me, right, like usually like late evening, like sort of north of 9 p.m., say, mm -hmm. um, you know, my, my wife usually heads off to bed around then. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I have a few hours to myself. Uh, and what do I inevitably end up doing? Watching YouTube. YouTube. Yep. And what do what YouTube stuff do I usually watch one or two good things and then just drift off to watch random stuff. So last yep. night I'm, I'm watching these videos and this isn't the first time this has happened. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what am I watching this for? And why am I not painting my models? <laughs> and it is basically YouTube videos that contain the words Korean street food. Those are, those are good videos. I've seen a lot of those videos. <laughs> and I'm like, why am I watching this? And it's like, I but could be mesmerized. painting models right now. <laughs> you, you are, but you're mesmerized. You're just like watching yeah. it. Oh, what's the next one? Oh, I like that one too. Let's click on that. Let's see how yeah. they do that. And all of a sudden it's like four hours later and you're just like, right. Which is kind of one of the reasons why I play video games during those moments yeah. is, um, uh, and if anyone can attest, I tend to like games that are RPG style games. Um, and I, the games that I dislike sort of are the ones that show you your slash played time, right? Uh, which is what, one of the reasons why I don't play WoW because I get into that too much. But um, I'm currently playing Assassin's Creed Valhalla and I'm almost done the game. And I looked at the slash played time and it's like sitting at 100 hours. And I was like, oh my God, 100 hours yeah, of painting miniatures. 100 hours of painting miniatures, Don. I'd have a whole army done and looking really good. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I try not to look at that sort of justification. It's like yeah, but time you're, spent. You're, you're, spent. You're, doing, you're looking at it more as like it's time to relax, right? So everybody exactly. needs time to relax. But the, yeah. the crazy part is when I get into painting... I really enjoy myself. I put on like a podcast or something, never YouTube because yeah. it pulls my attention. And I just enjoy myself. But getting it there, getting there. There you go, the friendship onion. Mary the friendship onion. There we go. See, worked it all the way back. Complete circle yeah. of life. There you go. Korean street food. Time well spent? Well, not really. It's still enjoyable, all the same. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's move on to the next segment. And now on to our news segment, which I don't think we have a name for this one yet, Don. What do you no, think? No, we don't. We do not have a name. So that will have to come with time. We're inserting the tentative TBD Chronicles. <laughs> and what exactly is this TBD Chronicles? Oh, uh, that's a great question. Uh, this was an idea you pitched to me, I want to say, two or three weeks ago at a minimum. And the short story enthusiast in me was immediately interested and why don't you flesh out uh, me sort of my terrible preamble 
Well, I guess what we're going to do is we're going to try some original narrative. Uh, we're going to try doing a collaborative story. So the way that it's going to work is um, I've written the first section of the story and it's a few pages long uh, and I'm going to read through it. And Andrew has no idea what it is. It's, no. of course, Middle Earth related. Um taking place in Middle Earth. Uh, and then Andrew will write the next part of the story. And we will go like that. We will go off each other's, you know, story uh, segment and and see if we can splice together a, a decent piece of, of narrative. And if the listeners like it, we'll keep it going. If not, we'll, we'll cut it off and maybe start a new one. That's right. So, yeah, so please, like... Obviously, we check the analytics, and if we see the retention rate for this section of the podcast drop to zero, we'll say, okay, acknowledged, you don't even need to say it. <laughs> but if you do like it, please let us know. Either send us an email or put a message in the, um, the episode the link page. on the Facebook page and, and let us know that you like it so that we can continue it. Now, we will do our best. We'll do our best to make sure there's at least some form of cohesive story. This isn't going to be like Dawn's story or two pages is this and then my two pages is whatever is happening and they're just going to sit there and talk about their toe jam it's not going to be one of those situations so there will be a cohesiveness to this to the yeah, best of our yeah. abilities while at the same time not really knowing what the other person's kind of got in their mind so obviously we're going to have some characters that we're going to write about um, my idea is that I, I want to a kind of battle company this a little bit mm-hmm. so um through the through the course of of uh the story possibly you know simulated gaining of experience mm-hmm. you know picking of a path for battle companies maybe throw some of that stuff in there some advancements kind of stuff but just in a narrative kind of way possibly we'll see how it goes yeah sure all right so you ready all right yeah so we're looking for a name for the segment and then eventually we'll have to have a name for for what becomes the story. Okay. And let me grab a drink of water because I can tell I'm already going hoarse here. This is crazy. From what? You've been sitting there doing nothing all day, waiting for me to work. Work yelling at people all day. Oh yeah, because <clears throat> you're the employee of the month. <laughs> That's what your jobs yell at people. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, that's not my shtick. Right. Okay, are we ready? Yeah, let's go for it. All right. Garther walked slowly through the mist his soft leather boots making almost no sound on the damp ground. A thick green cloak covered his head and broad dwarven frame, keeping the cold, damp air at bay. He could hear faint sounds in the distance, but he couldn't see more than a short distance ahead. He paused to listen to the far-off sounds to get his bearings, but he was unsure how to proceed. A dwarf ranger from the Blue Mountains, Garther had become separated from his companions in this unnatural fog. They were east of the Blue Mountains, heading for the Great East Road which would lead to the Shire. They had been engulfed in the mist, and the group had become separated. He had heard the voices of his companions calling him, but each time he moved towards the voices, the sound seemed to become more and more faint. He was quite sure at this point that some kind of unnatural evil spirit was toying with him and leading him in the wrong direction. 
At that point, he heard a shout off to his left, and he started moving in that direction. Before too long, he could see the footprints of several humanoids in the soft ground, and he followed them. They were at least half a dozen sets of prints, and he knew for certain he was following a group of orcs as they made no attempt to hide their passage. He could hear the orcs yelling ahead of him. They must be in pursuit of something to get them so excited. Garther was moving at a trot now, trying to gain on the orcs, but he came to an abrupt stop when he saw something on the ground just ahead of him. There were three dark shapes on the ground, one near to him and two further off. He drew his axe from his belt and moved slowly towards the first shape. It was a body, to be sure, and as he came upon the figure, he could see it was that of an orc. It lay on its back with an arrow buried in its chest pointing up towards the sky. And good riddance to ya, he grumbled. Continuing on towards the other two shapes, he could see they were tangled together in a heap. The one on top was another orc for certain, as he could see it still held a crude shield emblazoned with some garish symbol. He raised his axe ready to strike and rolled the orc over with his boot. No doubt it was dead as it had been stabbed through the throat with a spear. The spear was still held in the hand of its opponent now laying dead at his feet. It was a human male dressed in similar garb to what Garther was wearing. His bow lay on the ground nearby and his quiver was empty. A crude orc arrow had pierced his thigh, which had probably forced him to stand and fight. He had obviously been overwhelmed by the orcs and sported several wounds, any of which would have been fatal. Garther straightened out the body of the man, laying his bow alongside and covering him with his cloak. The man was obviously traveling light and wasn't carrying much, but he had a satchel slung over one shoulder. As an afterthought, Garther removed the satchel, looping the strap over his own shoulder. That's the best I can do for you at the moment, friend. There's more orcs that need killing, and if I'm not mistaken, they're still in pursuit of another of your kin. Garther stood up, slid his axe back into his belt. He retrieved his dwarven longbow, knocked an arrow, and started off once again in the direction the orcs had gone. Time to get those old legs moving, boyo, Garther said to himself as he broke into a trot. He jogged along for quite some time, following the trail of the orcs. He had passed another dead orc, again killed with a single arrow. So he was certain now the orcs were in pursuit of yet another victim. Several miles had gone by, and he was breathing heavily and thinking about dropping into a walk when he heard shouting just ahead. The orcs were jeering and shouting insults at their prey who they must have run down. He emerged from the mist into a bit of a clearing and stopped to take stock of what he was seeing. The orcs has caught up to their prey, obviously another ranger from the clothing, but Garther was too far back to make out more than that. The ranger had climbed up a rocky outcropping to make a last stand and held three orcs at bay with a sword as they tried to scramble up the rock to get to grips.
Two more orcs armed with bows were much closer to Garther, and they looked for a clear shot at the ranger. Garther muttered, muttered to himself, Now let's see if I can even the odds a little. He spoke to the closest orc archer in a voice loud enough to be heard. I suppose even an orc doesn't deserve to be shot in the back. The orc was obviously shocked to hear someone behind him and spun around to identify the newcomer. Garther's shot hit him square in the chest and he fell dead with an arrow still knocked to his bow. The second orc archer shouted a warning at his fellows who were dealing with the ranger and drew an arrow and took aim at the dwarf. Garther dropped his bow and started a determined walk towards the remaining orc archer. I'll deal with you up close and personal, he said. He pulled his axe free from his belt and drew forth a throwing axe from his bandolier as he marched forward. The orc let fly with his shot and his aim was true, the arrow hitting Garther in the shoulder. However, the feeble orc bow didn't have the strength to penetrate his leather armor and the arrow just bounced off the tough dwarf. Garther charged towards his foe, and the orc drew his crude sword in a panic. Just before he reached the orc, he heaved a throwing axe. The orc twisted wildly to avoid the impact, and Garther barreled into the off-balance orc, knocking him to the ground. The beast reacted quickly, getting back to his feet, but Garther was immediately on top of him and deftly dispatched the unfortunate orc with his axe. A loud yell brought Garther's attention back to the rocky outcropping where the ranger was still fighting for survival. As Garther looked over, he saw the limp body of an orc slide from the bloody blade of the ranger and roll off the perch to the ground below. He could tell that the ranger was hurt and another of the orcs was now up on the rock and engaged with the ranger. Of more immediate concern was the last of the three orcs, a huge bare-chested brute who was charging towards Garther. He came on at full speed, a two-handed axe raised above his head for a killing blow. Just before the huge orc reached him, Garther dove forward and tucked into a tight roll to one side of the orc. As the two passed each other, the sharp blade of the dwarf's axe opened up a large gash on the shin of the orc. The huge beast stumbled and came to a stop bellowing in pain and frustration. He was quick to his feet, axe at the ready. The orc turned undeterred and advanced on the dwarf, slowly this time. Garther noticed he had not been the only one to wound this hulking brute as he could see the broken shaft of an arrow projecting from his shoulder, blood running down its torso. The orc didn't seem to even notice his wounds and advanced undeterred, swinging his axe in front of him from side to side. Even a glancing blow from that huge weapon would likely be the end of Garther. The two combatants circled each other, fainting strikes and taking measure of their opponent. The orc suddenly lunged forward and swung his axe in a level arc just above waist height. Garther had no choice but to duck down low to avoid the swing, one knee even touching the ground. 
He immediately realized his mistake as he saw the orc throw out a kick in what was obviously a well-practiced combo. All he could do was turn his shoulder into the kick to avoid being hit square in the face. Even still, the impact was jarring and sent him sprawling backwards. He barely had time to get to his feet before the orc was on top of him once again. This time the orc swung the butt end of his axe in a tight arc trying to catch him a stunning blow to the head. Garther was no stranger to hand to hand fighting and he was expecting the attack. He dodged the blow and swung his axe in a backhand that caught the orc on the elbow. The orc bellowed, dropping the axe and clutching his shattered arm. Before the orc even knew what was happening, he moved in and swung his axe down, killing the orc. He looked up to see what was happening on the rocky outcropping, but neither of the two combatants were standing. The orc and the ranger were both down and unmoving. He moved quickly to the scene of the combat and climbed up the rock face. He grimaced as he felt a sharp pain in his shoulder where he had been kicked by the orc. Bloody green skin, he muttered to himself. There was no doubt the orc was dead, but he wasn't sure about the ranger as the human lay on their side facing away from Garther. He knelt down carefully and rolled the ranger onto their back. He was relieved to hear a soft groan as he moved the body. The ranger's face was partially covered by a green hood, so Garther moved it aside to get a better look at his patient. When he got a good look at the face, he retracted and let out an involuntary gasp. Well, now that's not something you see every day, now is it? All right, that's it. That's the end. That's the first section. Oh, you stuck me on a cliffhanger. I stuck you on a cliffhanger. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Oh, my God. My throat is, is raw here. Well, you got to work on that, you know. That's why we do this podcast. That's the sole reason why we do this podcast. It's just work on your public speaking skills. There we go. There we go. <laughs> All right. So I'll have to send that over to you so you can, you can maybe reread it so you can come up with your own ideas, your mm, continuation. That's right, that's right. You gave me some good ideas here, and uh, you left <laughs> me on a cliffhanger, so I guess I'll have to do the same for I you did. next time. Well, you don't have to. Do you, do you, do you man. Well, you do gotta leave you people on a cliffhanger each time. You know? That's what it builds <laughs> up to. Oh, there you go. So, you got some thinking to do. You got some writing to do. Got some thinking to do in this... I got a week to do it in. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we don't have to do it every time. If you don't uh, have it ready okay, for okay. next time, whatever. You don't. You got to hold me to something here because otherwise it could be like 17 months later. I'm like, okay, I got part <laughs> two done. <laughs> yeah, okay, maybe you better have it ready for next time. Oh, I'll do my best. I'll do my best. <laughs> that is assuming that people enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. If not, just tell us it sucks and we'll move on. <laughs> I enjoyed it, so that's what matters the most. Uh, all right, let's move on to what, the next section? That's right. All right, let's do a little All That Is Gold Does Not Glitter. And this is the part of the show where we interact with the listeners. And, right. you know, we started out asking our listeners questions. And for quite a while now, we've been 
answering questions of the listeners. And we've still got quite a few questions from the mics to get through. Uh, well, at least a few. So here's one from Mike Shock mm-hmm. um, from our scene here in Ontario, now living in the U.S. of A. Um, and here it is. Prior to the latest core edition of the game dropping, there seemed to be rampant frustrations with things like magic, hurl, nonsensical combinations of models field in the same forces. I guess he means like allies, etc. Given that the current iteration of the game is now a few years old, what issues do you feel the player base has begun to find frustrating. I'm not asking so much about the actual balance of the game, but what are the chiefest of bones that the players are beginning to pick at currently? Mm. What do you think, Andrew? Well, I mean, we could throw, we can go back and forth on this, you know, I'll throw an idea, you throw it. I definitely have a few um, that I, I hear, I hear complaining about, um, you hear the kids not talking complaining about, about but like maybe fr- a little bit of frustration or, or whatever. So you go first. I think I wouldn't say chiefest because I don't want to put an order to this because that implies yeah. that there's specifics. Um, I, I definitely think the I definitely think the the big one in terms of the, the top table play would be the prevalence of Galadriel, Lady of Light, and she. Is very much shaping the meta away from any form of spellcasting, offensive spellcasting, um, because already you know defensive spellcasting is way more points efficient to begin with. Um, mm-hmm. But including her, it, this complete package that she brings, it it just seems like an auto include, and she fills all the gaps. And from someone who likes to cast spells, um, her being there pretty much shuts you down. And it's like you can't run. Even a double wraith, double you know barrel white against her, it doesn't win out on the spellcasting game. You can try brute forcing stuff um, by just casting enough and hope you get the sixes and see if she fails. But the reality is, it, you have to invest so many more points in that situation to get those clutch um, the rolls for her to fail that it really, it's really not worth it. You know, more often than not, there's more points-efficient ways of bringing lists, especially evil lists. But it, it has really curtailed evil, evil spellcasting ability. And, you know, a lot of evil lists, uh, factions, I should say, Mordor, Baradur, um, small bits of Moria, Isengard, especially if you want her in Saruman, and others really lean in on sort of a pocket wraith to really sort of help out. And I almost feel, this is me suspecting, that the that sort of stealth buff to Black Dart and Chill Soul was sort of like almost an acknowledgement um, and sort of a gimme, okay, here's a Black Dart that lets you sort of shoot out a hero's horses kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Um, which then still allows you to bring the unnamed wraith, but I mean, yeah, I get I get what you're saying. It's kind of 
sort of as a general analogy, I would say that like, you know, it's a fantasy game with magic, spellcasters, wizards, shaman, so on and so on. Um, but like, it seems like in the current uh, meta and the current edition of the game, like magic has been subdued to the point of being a very minor part of the game. Um, certainly in the previous edition of the game, it was, it was too strong. Certainly some spells were too strong, possibly too hard to resist magic but it's kind of swung in the opposite direction now mm. to the point where you it's so much easier just to avoid taking the spell casters just because you know like you said it's it's becomes not very point efficient when your uh, your spells are quite easily resisted yeah like you bring you would bring the witch king with the crown because it gives some reliability on casting mm-hmm. Uh, and he's ridiculously cheap for what he brings. You bring the Shadow Lord for the anti-shooting bubble, and that's all you touch, right? You don't touch any other wraiths, unless you want to yeah. touch an unnamed wraith, like your old 271 pocket wraith, right? Yeah. But other than that, like, once Galadriel Lady of Light's on the table, you're really struggling to find or maximize ways to, you know, maximize your, your, your points invested in spellcasters, because it's not going to be on casting on... Um, heroes, uh, unless you can get the drop on them, in which case you have to be ultra aggressive and, and hope for the best. And it's like, yeah. it's Fortify Spirit is is honestly like if it doesn't change when the addition new edition drops, whenever that may be, I guarantee you, it will be that spell that's on there that's probably going to change into if you cast Fortify Spirit on someone, guess what? You give them the magic resistance special rule, and if you heroically channel it you then get to roll two dice instead of one. Like, mm-hmm. one of those situations, I see Fortify Spirit, and unfortunately Galadriel is the best vehicle to bring that uh, to the table, as the new transfix from the old edition. Uh, and I say that as in, like, transfix and compel in the old edition were busted. They were so good for what they brought to the table. And they mm-hmm. clearly got nerfed as a result, and that's totally fine. I expect Fortify Spirit will get the same treatment next edition. Uh, but currently, uh, I think Galadriel just needs a tweak to her allies matrix, bump her to a hero yeah. of fortitude. Um, and then, unfortunately, at that point, you have to bring another hero from the White Council list to bring her, which then all of a sudden it's like, 300 points of heroes just to get Galadriel Lady of Light and at that point you've really curtailed her abilities um, similar to Kyrdan yeah and like you know what Lord of the Rings isn't Dungeons and Dragons so like I don't expect like you know firebolts uh, or uh, fireballs and lightning bolts to be flying around the battlefield but like magic seems to be a little bit too subdued I think right now right I mean like don't get me wrong Magic is, is, I think magic is in, if you ignore Galadriel Lady of Light, magic is in a very good place, right? Because if you are running wraiths, right? Uh, if your opponent is running those tier one heroes, you know, your fight six, seven, eight. Yes, you could do the old uh, Witch King flies over the battle line, transfixes you, heroic strikes up um, with his fell beast, and maybe they'll kill them, right? Maybe. Um, but you, as a, as a tier one hero, you still get all your attacks, you still get to spend your might, and you still get that fight value, thus forcing the Witch King to make that move. Uh, but there's so many ways of countering that. Um, and, you know, with Bard, um, with Hurl, 
being minimized uh, with no two um, brutal power attacks or new, no double hurls, uh, directionality mm. being changed. All these things have been changed to really prevent the race from being able to do the hurl, hurl combat, dive into a hero, kill them, all that kind of stuff. That yeah. has been so subdued that I think Magic is a very is in a very good place. It's just that that component of Galadriel needs to get tweaked, and I think. It'll be good enough so that you'll start seeing more evil lists um, be played with those wraiths. Okay, let, let me throw one out here. Sure. Um, and and I hear a lot of people complaining um, about the the ally matrix mm. um, and and the restrictions that it brings and um, the the whole thing where you have to have a hero of valor in order to bring in an allied contingent. Um, you know, people people feel I think that it's it's very restrictive and preventing them from doing what they want to do. I don't really have a problem with it myself, but but to me it identifies kind of another sort of issue with with this game, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, um, and that is uh, sort of the small size of the factions in the game. There are a lot of factions in the game. Mm-hmm. You know, there are more in this edition than in the previous. Yeah. And now with all these legendary legions, there are a lot of additional armies, let's say, that you can bring to the table. But in each individual faction or army, there's not a lot of selection. Right? Mm, that's true. Mortar and, used to be and, huge. And, and the ally matrix and the restrictions that we have in play now really emphasize that. And, and I find that probably in three quarters of the armies that you play now in the game, from one game to the next, from one player to the next, the armies are all very similar. When you play an opponent that, you know, plays Lothlorien, you know, it's going to be very similar army to the next player that you play that's playing that same army. And mm-hmm. it's because everybody's trying to maintain their green, their green alliance to keep their army bonus. Um, and, you know, every faction, you know, in general, some have quite a few units to choose from, but most don't. Most only have a few to choose. And so it mm-hmm. makes all of the armies look very similar. I would hmm, I would agree with that statement um, in that there are factions that are very monobuild um, with slight variations. I mean... You, you see, like, Gondor is a prime example of something that's not mono-build. I mean, you can either go mm-hmm. Fountain Court Guard, or you can go the Hodgepodge, the Rangers of Athelion and um, the Warriors of Minas Tirith. And that's also a build where you can choose to go Boromir White Tower as your leader, or you can go Aragorn. There's so much diversity to a Gondor list that allows you to be sort of a dual trio build. But there are mm-hmm. armies, like you said... Um, like um, Arnor, for example, is very much a, a mono build, um, and there's lots of factions that are very mono buildish, um, and it, it's very frustrating. I know, uh, but I, I see. I like, just let me throw something in there while you're thinking, and on the evil side too. Like evil has quite a, f- a, f- a quite a few less factions than good has Mm -hmm. and also a lot fewer green alliances too which which limit the evil side quite drastically compared Mm -hmm. to the good side they do um and you know 
contrary to popular belief, um, yes, Frankenstein in your list with lots of yellow alliance can be quite beneficial. But generally speaking, if you have access to a decent army bonus and you ally for another green alliance, you want to try and maintain that army bonus if at all possible. I mean, case in point, Mordor, Harad, um, I think Corsairs of Umbar sort of, and Easterlings all sort of form that uh, quad fecta where they're all sort of green alliance with each other, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, but you'd never want to break that for a yellow alliance. Like those army bonuses no. from those armies are really solid, um, so you never want to give that up. Um, but you do see some like I've you know watched podcasts like the unexpected podcast brings some very Frankenstein-y um, now when I say Frankenstein I mean like I'm essentially talking about Frankenstein being a hodgepodge of parts from all different types of humans um, that's what you see and you do see that type of those types of builds out there and you will see those types of builds at top tables because um, people will um, sort of cherry pick for the best elements of armies. And I will say this, um, this edition does a much better job preventing that than previous editions. I was the Definitely, king, yeah. I was the king of cherry picking last edition. I would cherry pick the heck out of everything. If I wanted to shade with the Goblin King and Ring Wraiths, I would do it, right? Because that's the kind of builds that I wanted because I wanted to be an ultra competitive player. Um, that's a lot harder to do. And I think, unfortunately, what that's done by really trying to limit those Frankenstein kind of builds, um, you are limiting those theme players who just want to put whatever they want to put together for theme. Um, and that really hurts them. So that is sort mm -hmm. of an indirect effect from that. Um, and you get this situation where you've certain armies have lost units because they've been pulled out of that army and put into other armies um case in point a lot of mortar has been pulled out of and put into angmar um and so you have these armies which are very um you know, very specific types of builds um me personally what i would love to see i know this is again this is a bit of, a bit of wish listing as i'd love to start seeing in some of these newer books i'd love to start seeing you know new infantry units we're always seeing yeah like new and in case in point the dragon called acolyte that's fantastic we've got a brand new unit whether it's good or not that's that's up for grabs right now we haven't seen it played on the tabletop yet um, but it gives easterlings more flexibility with the type of lists they want to build so you'll see different easterling builds on the table or you may even actually see easterlings especially in our meta yeah, yeah. um so i would like love look at what they like what they just did with dunland you know yeah um and speaking of that just listen to into the west just did uh, a good podcast talking about dunland it was mm -hmm. it was really good um but there they released a book with like a few new heroes and like a, a, a few warrior units, which, wow. which is amazing to see because it, it, it's not a faction unto itself, but it's basically bringing that army to life, like as its own legendary legion in that case. And like you said, I, I'd love to see them like the next phase of this game is like, let's have less concentration on new heroes and more yeah. on like new warrior units. For, exactly. for some of these armies like Numenor or, oh you know, God, like you said, Arnor or, or some of the evil, like you, let's throw mm -hmm. out a whole new evil faction, you know, like. 
Exactly. I mean, like, there's so much, there's so many opportunities here. And, and the best part about this is that these are like clam packs, you know, like your three, four pack that you can put together and people will buy the heck out of that. Now, I understand there's some, some trepidation around this uh, from GW's perspective, and that's mostly due to um, capacity, right? Like yeah. Lord of the Rings in their warehouse doesn't have a tremendous amount of capacity because it's being dom- dominated by Age of Sigmar and uh, 40K. Well, it so, gets into this whole question of SKUs, right? SKUs, Where they're only right. allowed to have so many SKUs for each game of products for sale. Well, the SKUs are very much tied to actual um, storage capacity, right? Um, And so you get this... Anyways, the the whole point is I would love to start seeing more of these infantry units um, because from a from a cost or from a sales perspective, you'll sell more of these units in the long run than you will heroes. And... They're probably a lot easier to make because one, they're a little bit less detailed than heroes, and you can always reuse the base sculpt and rejig it to put put together two or three more um, uh, variant sculpts. So anyways. this leads into another one. I have another one, sure. and this this kind of leads into it. Us talking about like all these hero releases and not very many warrior releases. One of the other things that I hear uh, a few people uh, grumble a little about a little bit about and it has to do directly with all of these new heroes that we're coming out with and it's the overabundance of new special rules it's Ooh. like every new hero that comes out has seems to have a new special rule fresh off the press you know and you know yeah. it gets to be uh, a little much at some point. Well, you're getting into the point where you're going to start seeing the war machine effect, right? Where everything has a special hero, and if you're not up to date, um, good luck remembering it. And so you're going to run into those moments of gotcha, where your opponent pulls something on you you weren't expecting because special rule 267 sub dash three, you didn't remember that one, or you just didn't buy the yeah. book, uh, and yeah. all of a sudden you're sol. Um, the other thing I want to talk about is, and this is a bit of um, it's a bit of a frustration for me, um, and I see it creep up on the on uh, forums and stuff like that. Um, is this prevalence of shooting as being more than what I'd like to think it was designed to be, and that's sort of a tool in your tool belt. You can shoot for a couple turns. You'll definitely make back your points, but it's not really the tactic of tactics. Mm-hmm. Whereas now, sitting back and shooting is a thing, right? Like that's, it you is, can yeah. do that. And we've, we've talked a lot about this in and, previous episodes, but yeah, it's you can definitely win this game now with, the, with a shooting army. You can definitely win this game now with a shooting army in a lot of missions. Um, your chances or probabilities of doing well across a wider breadth of missions, um, you you can stand still and shoot for a couple turns, and you'll do very very well. Mm-hmm. The and and that of course forces um, a counter, right? And the counter is always I need to bring um, I need to bring anti shooting bubbles, right? I must, or I must bring high defense armies. Right, which means defense seven, defense eight on mass, or I gotta have an anti-shooting bubble, or I have to have this ultra-fast army that gives you only one shooting phase and then you're dead ski. And mm-hmm. it's like that 
really limits the types and the variations of lists on the table. I mean, I can bring a um, I can bring a Gondor force that doesn't involve the Fountain Court Guard. Or I can bring a D6 wall army, right? Shield wall army with a, a smattering of heroes and some shooting of my own, maybe some cav. Uh, and then you run into this, this shooting style army and I've lost a third of my force before I even get there, if I'm lucky. And it's like, that's not unheard of. It's not yeah. uncommon. And it just is so deflating. It's like, this is a typical, like, all-comers list that should do well. But because I didn't bring a shooting bubble, I just got trampled. And it's like, it, it, it's it's getting to a point. I'm not saying it's there yet, but I'm saying, and we'll see once the tournament scene starts opening up. Uh, but it's getting to the point where uh, people are um, starting to play this way. And, you know, again, what we'll see by the end of the year, if, if this prediction mm -hmm. stays true. But there's enough concern on forums. Uh, and I know it all sort of stems around Rangers of Athelion, but let's be honest, there are other armies there that are just as bad, i.e. Assault sure, on Helm's Deep, Legendary Legion, um, that you will see this as a very viable option. I think you're right. Yeah, and mm -hmm. like you say, we'll, we'll have to see where it goes with that, you know. The proof is in the pudding, as they say, so oh, exactly. you know, time will tell. But um, yeah, we've definitely won games from shooting, and I've definitely lost games from shooting, and they, they're yeah. not the funnest games no. on either side, honestly. They're not. When you win them, you don't feel like you actually tried, because um, the, the dice just went your way, and you have a lot of them, and when you lose yeah. them, you felt like you had no chance right from the get-go. That's it. And that's it. So I think that wraps up that question from uh, from Mike Shock, and I think that wraps up uh, our episode number nineteen. Holy cow! We're zooming in on episode twenty, coming up around the horizon. Um, we are. All I would like to say, if people could throw out a nice little review for us in whatever uh, podcasting medium they're listening to, uh, we'd appreciate that. Yeah, and f feedback is everything, right? It's like the feedback is so important because if we're doing stuff that, you know, that you hate and it's you don't listen to the podcast because of that, like we need to know, right? And uh, on the other side of the coin, if we're doing stuff you like, it's great to hear about it and we can do more of that kind of stuff. Exactly, exactly. Uh, and last but not least, uh, I know I've said this once already in this episode, but shoot us an email at northoftheshirepodcast1 at gmail.com just to shoot the breeze or even send us a question if you like. Uh, and also put a comment um, you know, on our Facebook page or like our Facebook page if you like North of the Shire Podcast, and we'll go from there. All right, everybody. Well, thank you for joining us for another episode here on North of the Shire.